This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Smart Money Podcast, a series of financial tips for different life stages. Get your money right for your life. This podcast is brought to you by Discovery, and I am Maya Fisher-French, and each week we chat to a money expert to find the answers to those pressing financial questions. Now, we like to talk about accumulating wealth, investing, getting rich, but we avoid the subject of estate planning because it touches on those uncomfortable issues, mortality and making sure your loved ones are taken care of. But this is a conversation we need to be having. So in studio today, we have Grant Curry, who's a certified financial planner. We're going to be chatting to Grant about how to leave a financial legacy. Welcome, Grant. Maya, thank you very much for having me. I want to ask you, this is, as I said, this is an uncomfortable discussion for many people. So how do you, as a financial planner, when you've got a client sitting in front of you um, who says, I want to make my millions, how do you bring in that other part? Like, well, what happens when you leave this earth? So absolutely, I think estate planning is a topic a lot of people avoid. And uh, it's got to start somewhere, and I believe where it needs to start is right up front, before people start acquiring assets, what entities to purchase those assets in. And generally, people have two choices. They can either purchase those assets in the individual name or in a trust. And there's pros and cons to either one. I think just in your personal name, there are certain risks, such as creditors and sureties, whereas the trust can give you a lot more comfort in terms of protection. A trust would generally protect you against predators, creditors, estate duty, and lastly but not least, insolvency. When we're looking at the trust's legislation's changed quite recently in terms of Section 7A, where the validity of a trust or the attractiveness of a trust potentially has been somewhat eroded due to that change in legislation. In short, what basically happened is if you lend money to a trust, there's potentially donations tax that needs to be paid, and obviously it's an additional cost that you need to factor in. Just going back to personal versus trust, on an individual's personal capacity, you're looking at a top uh, tax rate of 45% and capital gains tax at 18%, and on the trust, it's a flat rate of 45 mm. and capital gains on a flat rate of 36 So the taxation is a lot higher on a trust, but at the end of the day, you've got to weigh up the needs and objectives of the individual, and often that trust would take its part and uh, fulfill that need. I mean, that's what we have been seeing. We've been seeing even globally a real kind of scrutiny on how taxes are levied on individuals. You know, is it is it fair? And I think that's why we've seen trust specifically coming under so much pressure. But I think the, the point I'm getting from you is saying a trust is no longer there. It's not about saying I'm trying to avoid tax. It's about how do I protect my assets from from for various reasons, and how do I create that legacy going forward um, and, and being able to provide for my family and many generations to come. But, you know, we were talking now about, you're talking specifically around trusts, but in terms of global assets, so a lot of high net worth individuals are diversifying, they've got assets overseas, they may even own property overseas. How does estate planning come into, into effect then? Do you need to have different um, trusts, different wills? How do you put it all together? Absolutely. So obviously, as you accumulate assets, and let's say not just in South Africa, but globally, it becomes very important to seek advice from a specialist. Um, taxation is different in every country, and obviously laws uh, are very different. If you're a resident within South Africa and you own assets, you've got to basically declare, declare your worldwide income um, into, uh, into uh, South Africa. 
And if you do own assets abroad, if you do own properties or investments, my recommendation is to speak to an expert to get an offshore will drawn up, which would factor in the legislation and the the rules according to the country that you hold the assets. Um, Alternatively or otherwise, you're going to have complications um, when you're no longer around to obviously sort that out. And it's quite important because, I mean, the, the, the tax rates in these different regimes, I mean, we worry about a state duty here, and the UK state duty is a far more onerous. So very, very important to understand. And, you know, you mentioned wills. I mean, we, we sort of kicked off with, with making sure you have the right entity, and I think that's very important when you start accumulating wealth, making sure you accumulate it. But at the end of the day, everybody should have a will. But how many people you come across actually have one, or if they have one, they haven't dusted it off for the last 20 years? I mean, you know, how do you manage that? Maya, that stat is scary. I come across so many of my clients that don't have a will. And people in general, just when you talk to them, it's a document that I think people almost avoid. You know, nobody believes that they're going to die today or tomorrow. And life happens. The will is most probably the most important document a person would sign. And by not signing it, and by not having an updated and valid will, um, the people you leave behind are the ones that suffer. And um, you don't realize it until you've actually gone through it. And I've had a few cases where I've uh, been asked to step in to help um, certain family members and and friends of clients that uh, have died without a will. They've passed away intestate. And unfortunately, you know, in the society that we live in, things just uh, are a nightmare to wrap up if that is the situation you find yourself and what tips do you have in terms of what should be in that will? I mean, what really should be covering? Who should you make your executor, for example? Should you take a free will from a bank? <laughs> so a fantastic question. What I've found in the past is when you do nominate one of the big institutions as your executor, there's no personal relationship there. And what tends to happen is when one passes away, you firstly obviously have the emotional side that you need to get through and mourn. And the last thing people want to do is deal with burdens of financial issues. The problem with a big uh, uh, corporate is your document or your will gets placed on a, on a pile and it obviously works its way down to as and when they can accommodate you. My advice to people is never nominate a corporate as an executor. Always nominate someone close to you, especially if they obviously uh, have some financial astuteness, and either a lawyer or a broker or someone that you do trust that could potentially take the burden away from your loved one if they, for example, co-executor with you. And what tends to happen there is that the executors then can nominate or auction out to a panel of attorneys um, or experts to see who would want that business. You could also potentially get uh, lower executor fees, and uh, at least you know you've got a professional dealing with it and someone that wants the business. Mm-hmm. They, you know, it'll be treated with urgency, and generally, um, those walls would get wound up, or those estates would get wound up. Um, so, is this typically something you would speak to your financial advisor about? Because I mean, I know certainly with my will, I've got things in place for, it, for my kids, guardianship, all of that is in my will, um, and that's I think quite an important conversation, especially if you've got assets to have with an expert. Mm. Should you be paying for that will and that advice? Absolutely. So, generally, if things are free, I believe they're not done properly. You have to speak to your advisor about a will. It is the most important document one will sign in their lifetime. Um, you can ask people that are left behind where their spouses didn't have a will. So absolutely, definitely speak to your advisor. And if they're not capable or, 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 or skilled to draft the will, they would definitely have um, resources to put you in touch with people that mm. can draft a will. Mm. 
and uh, obviously make sure that the, the right elements are there, especially if you have young minors. You would maybe want to look at putting a trust in place that if anything had to happen to you, and let's just say you're a single parent, you also wouldn't want guardians or other people to have access to those funds. Mm. So, you know, wills can really protect assets mm. for your loved ones, for your young children, you know, if you've got minors, that if you're no longer around on this earth, you know, you know that the assets are protected up until a certain age. Of course, another key part of, of wills is the estate planning and tax planning that goes along. So, for example, at the moment, we're using very effectively the three and a half million abatement. Um, you know, you, you don't pay tax on the first three and a half million uh, so that you could leave somewhere else. The rest you leave to your spouse. But then we've seen these recommendations coming out the Davis um, Tax Committee which could have serious consequences for spousal transfers, abatements, donations. We could see a spouse paying donations tax. So how are you preparing your clients for these potential changes? We don't know if they're going to happen, but you have to be thinking that they could happen. So how are you positioning the financial planning at this stage? So absolutely, as you said, at the moment, they're not in law. they potential talks around a table. But going forward, there is a possibility that these changes could come to fruition. And I think it's very important when you sit with a couple, a husband and a wife, what you, you would need to do is look at planning individually for each of them. And I think that it's as important as you do joint planning when you look at estates, when you look at assets, look at entities that you're purchasing in that you plan for estate duty, you plan for executive fees separately so that if these changes do come into play, at least you're not in a position where you've got to transfer assets and uh, be exposed to donations, tax, or potentially estate duty uh, down the line. Brings me to another um, uh, point. I sat with a client the other day. She said to me, uh, we were chatting around retirement planning, and she said to me, Grant, you know, I don't need to worry about retirement planning. My husband's taken care of that. She's in a corporate. She's, she's not on a pension mm-hmm. provident fund. And I sat with her and I said, you know, my job is to sit in front of you and make sure that I protect you. And if anything had to happen down the line, between you and your husband, I haven't done my job. So please consider what I'm saying to you and just make sure that you tick those boxes because the last thing I want to see is you to be shortchanged or potentially left with shortfalls for retirement because you were counting on something that may not be cast in stone. Absolutely. And I think that give their shivers down my spine when I hear a woman say something like that. And I think in some ways, perhaps these tax changes could be positive in the sense that it's reminding women that they need to grow assets in their own name um, and actually protect their own future. You can't sit around waiting for someone else to do that for you. Join us for more of these conversations on Smart Money, brought to you by Discovery. Get your money right for your life. This is CliffCentral.com.